You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. You take your Bible, your 1 Kings chapter 4 this morning. We finished last week on 1 Kings chapter 3. Recall the story, Solomon was asked by God in a dream, what do you want? And in the dream, Solomon says, Lord, I just want wisdom to guide and lead your people. And the Lord says, I will grant this to you. I will give you what you didn't ask for. And Solomon wakes up and realizes it's a dream. And so he has no idea if this request was granted at that time. And yet immediately following that, there's this court case with two prostitutes and this child. And it's clear and obvious to all of Israel at this time that Solomon actually is given this divine gift of wisdom, and they fear because of it. And so now we come to chapter 4 of 1 Kings, starting at verse number 1. So Solomon was king over all Israel, and these are the princes which he had, Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, Elahoreth and Ahiah, the sons of Shisha, scribes. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the host. And Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers. And Zabad, the son of Nathan, was principal officer and the king's friend. And Ahishar was over the household, and Adoniram, the son of Abda, was over the tribute. And Solomon had twelve officers over all Israel, which provided victuals for the king and his household, each man his month in a year made provision. And these are their names, the son of Hur in Mount Ephraim, the son of Dekar in Machaz, and in Shalem of Beth Shemesh, and... Eli Beth Hanan, the son of Hesed, in Aruboth, to which pertaineth Sokoth, and all the land of Hefer, the son of Abinadab, and in all the region of Dor, which hath Teheth, the daughter of Solomon, to wife. And it goes on, I will not slaughter any more names, as we go to verse number 20. And Judah and Israel were many as the sand which is by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and making merry. And Solomon reigned over the kingdoms from the river unto the land of the Philistines and unto the border of Egypt. They brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. Jump down to verse number 25. And Judah and all Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba all the days of Solomon. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Verse 29, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding, exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is in the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Jump down to verse number 32. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005 He spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. 
There came all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. And may God bless the reading of his word. The structure of 1 Kings is so that after Solomon receives the wisdom of the Lord, we see it immediately in this moral judgment that he makes, which is unbelievable, that God granted him the wisdom to see through all of that Gordian knot that we talked about last week. But what follows then is example after example that Solomon's wisdom extends to life and the affairs of life. In chapters 5 through 7, we'll talk about the construction of the temple and of the palace. The wisdom is profound. In chapter 8, we have the wisdom of worship in the Ark of the Covenant and the dedication of the temple and the worship there. And in chapters 9 and 10, we see the wisdom of Solomon in commerce, that, that Solomon knows the art of the deal. He knows how to wheel and deal, and he brings great riches and wealth into all of Jerusalem and Israel. And so these chapters will, will pinpoint for us the example of the wisdom of Solomon, and it's profound. But what about chapter 4? I mean, the truth is, it's a long chapter that has a number of names that we don't know, nor can we pronounce. I challenge you to this afternoon, take a shot at the names. It is one chapter that likely we would skip in our devotional reading. I can't imagine that this is one of your favorite chapters for devotion time. And if you're really religious, you might skim through it and check off your box so that you feel better, but the truth is, we don't spend much time in this chapter. It has a number of job descriptions. Priest, secretary, recorder, military officers, the king's friend of all people, his advisor. There's a whole lot of administrators found in here, and then 12 guys who are responsible for feeding between four and 5,000 people. So, what's the deal? I mean, That chapter, literally, is a sleep fest. Right? I mean, we're not going there for encouragement, so how in the world is it that chapter 4 would be placed between chapter 3 and 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, crying out the wisdom of Solomon? Well, I'm glad you asked that this morning, because I know you were sitting on the edge of your seat to find out. Chapter 4 reminds us that it's not just wisdom in making moral judgments, but we see the wisdom of God in orderly structure. If you look at your bulletin at any time during the service, hopefully not now, but before the service, you will see that the title of the message is A Mundane Message. So I'm off the hook. I mean, how could you? There are no expectations this morning. This is a mundane message. Because the truth is, we don't think like this, but God is saying there is real wisdom in orderly structure. Now, doesn't that make sense when we think about our God? Let me talk to our atheist friends this morning who don't believe that God exists, don't believe he started anything, that by faith everything came from nothing. The real miracle is that you can look at that universe with that worldview and expect there to be constants and laws that you can stake 
your life on. Because there are laws, there are constants, and this universe is so finely tuned that to be out of a, a sink in just some infinitesimal area like gravity, if, if gravity changes by, I can't even say a hairbreadth, by a, a razor's edge from the property from 1 in 10 to the 60th power, life is not doable on this planet. And yet we see the order of God in everything around us. We see it in the sun, the moon, the stars, the tides. We have charts that we know when the tide's coming in, the tide's coming out because of the moon. We see it all in the seasons, in the birds, in the bees, in the spider web. There is order in our world, and it stems from God, and it shouts wisdom in orderly structure. That goes down from there. Do you know that God delights in structure? Government. Everybody hating on government, right? Brother Rick hating on government, right? Romans 13 tells us that government is ordained by God, and we as citizens are supposed to, in God's order, submit to government. As long as the government doesn't tell us to do something against the clear word of God. And Paul goes on to say that government is provided for our good to punish the evildoer. There is structure in government. There is structure in the home. In the home. It was not designed to be chaotic. God has given us structure. Husbands, to sacrificially wring your life out for your wife. To lead her as a servant leader. To love her more than you love yourself. Wife, to sacrificially submit to your husband. To see him as Christ and the church. And children, to obey their parents in the Lord. This is God's structure. And I know for many of us, that doesn't make sense, especially for our teenagers this morning. Let me give you some wisdom by Mark Twain that I think you'll find encouraging. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant that I could hardly stand to have the old man around. Some of you are saying, yeah, I I see that. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Right? It's coming. It's coming. There's structure. There's structure in the church. A matter of fact, in in the book of Titus, chapter 1, Paul says to Titus, listen, I'm sending you back to Crete. Why? To put the church in order. It's not just, well, get together and do whatever we want. He says, there's structure to the church. We put it in order. Hebrews chapter 13, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Titus 1, there are elders or pastors to feed the flock, to lead the flock, to take care of the flock. Then deacons are given, Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy 3, to take care of the physical needs of the body of Christ. And the church then, in this structure, is given gifts to help the body function. There is structure. And chapter 4, we see Solomon's wisdom in orderly 
structure. Listen to me this morning. This is not going to be one of those, oh, this is so, I'm just telling you. In chapter 4, we see wisdom in orderly structure. Why? Because this wisdom protects us from waste. From waste. The book of Proverbs is full of examples of, of, of the writer of Proverbs, whether Solomon or another author, saying, listen, hey, be careful. Watch what you're doing. The slothful man or woman, look at what's going on in their life. Their, their yard, their vineyard, their whatever is wasted. They are great wasters. He goes on to say, be diligent to know the state of your flocks, what's happening in your life, what's going on around you. Don't waste it. He then tells you to look at the ant who prepares for stuff. Have order and structure in your life. Order keeps chaos and waste from running and ruining our lives. And many of us are ruining our lives because there's no structure. Now listen to me. I know there are two extremes here. The one is, some of you folks are in this room and you're like me. I don't like meetings. I mean, I really don't like meetings. I don't like organizational stuff where you have to sit down for a couple hours and figure stuff out. I cannot stand that. Because my attitude is, let's just do something. How many people are with me on that? Let's just do something, right? Okay, good, good. I feel better about myself, all right? And that's fine until you just do something and it's completely screwed up because you didn't take any time to figure it out. Years ago, we had a, a barbecue grill. And they said, you could pay for it and we'll put it together, which is a really smart idea. Or you can put it together yourself. I said, I'll put the thing together myself. Because I am a handyman. <laughs> Your screwdriver, yeah, check. And I was amazed when I was done how many extra parts the company gave you. There was a bag of extra parts there. I thought, how generous. If something breaks down, I have all of these extra parts. And then I realized none of the parts were extra. I had blown the whole thing. And four hours later, I'm still working on this nightmare of a grill. I lost my salvation during the time. Some of us are like this, like, I don't care, I'm just going to do. It doesn't turn out well. And there are others of us, and listen to me, that you micromanage every minute detail of your life, and you're so organized that you snuff life out. And you know what I'm talking about. This OCD stuff where it's like, wait a minute, this, here, check, 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 breathing, check, 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 Right? And, and you live like this, and i got to tell you, you're, you're a joy kill. You're the kind of people who go to Disneyland, and every waking moment you have something to do. Up, oh, oh, the schedule says we got to stop having fun now. Time to eat. we got 15 minutes to eat. we got to do this. And so I get there's extremes, and we all need work on these things. But listen to me. When we have no structure in our lives, we become great wasters. And Solomon's wisdom was saying, listen, I've got a kingdom to run and rule, and so these things are important. Don't waste. Now, it's become very fashionable in our society to, to mock and make fun of people who are, you know, they're, okay, an example, they clean their homes, or their workspace is clean, 
or their office area is clean. It's like, oh, those people, they're so boring. They don't have a life. I mean, get over that. You're just a need freak. Listen, you can make fun of those people, but they're not spending three hours looking for their car keys. Or an hour and a half to try to find out where I put that tie or that piece of paper that I need to close this deal. And you know what I'm talking about. And we live such helter-skelter lives. We never structure anything. We fly by the seat of our pants in things that we should not be flying by the seat of our pants in. I don't even know how you fly by the seat of your pants. It's kind of a weird statement as I think about it. And so your lack of planning now constitutes an emergency for everybody else around you. Because you didn't prepare. Listen, without structure in our life, it's not wisdom. We become great wasters. We waste talents. We waste opportunity. We waste money. And we we waste the most important thing we have. Time. Time. It's the stuff life is made of. And you don't have to be 48 to realize time is slipping through your fingers. Friday night I took off to go see my family in Cleveland. I have to go back every now and then to remember my roots and to thank God for what I was saved from. And so I go back there and I see it. And I I actually enjoy the the chaos of all of it. It makes me smile and happy. I just feel at home there. And so we were there. And while we were there, the Hoffmans, who have been friends of ours for years, gave the call to Kim about their granddaughter. And I, I went to the hospital on Saturday in Cleveland. And I held that child's mother when she was born. Katie. And here I am, the full circle of life, right? And I'm looking at a baby at three months old. I'm thinking to myself, time is passing. And we waste it. My friend, listen to me. Without structure in our lives, think about how much time you wasted this week. And it's not, I get we need downtime. I get we need to just relax. I, I get we need to recreate. But some of you folks, you're on social media. It's like, I'm just going to be on for a minute. And then three hours later, you realize that you've done nothing. Or you play solitaire. Any solitaire players out there, you can admit it. I won't. Okay, good. It's a great game. I love it myself. Just one game. Or just until I win. This is my deal. Does any, or Angry Bird. No one even plays that game anymore. But whatever the game is. Whatever the game is, we waste our time, and before we know it, time is gone. You never get that back. Ever. And, and hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't, don't do anything in drove. That's not what I'm saying. But you know as well as I do, there have been times in my life when I thought, I got a day off, and here's what I'm doing today. Nothing. I'm doing nothing. I'm not getting out of my pajamas. I'm going to stay in the house all day. I'm going to drink coffee. I might read a book. Maybe I'll sleep. Maybe I'll watch TV. I'm doing nothing. Have you ever been there? Ever done that? How do you feel at the end of the day? Great. No, you don't. (laughs) Melissa, I told you not to speak out loud. (laughs) One person feels great. The truth is, if you continually do, I hope, if you continually do that, you don't feel good. You feel as you've wasted time. We've just wasted it. It's gone. 
listen to me, for every one of us, there is coming a day when we will say, if we haven't already, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time. Especially when it comes to the work of the kingdom. You and I are going to step off this planet as believers. I'm talking to believers now. If you're lost, don't worry about that. You need to worry about your soul. We will step off and we'll give an account for what we've done for the kingdom with our time. We've got to be careful. Chapter 4 shouts wisdom to us. Why? Because Solomon said, there's orderly structure in this kingdom and it makes it work. I don't waste time. Number two, I want you to see this. In this text, we are reminded that whatever we do is important. Listen to me. Even the mundane things. Here's a little secret. Life in general, now this is going to blow your mind, okay? Life in general is boring. Boring. I mean, completely boring. Get up, eat breakfast, drink coffee, go to work, come home, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed. Repeat cycle for 50 years. For most of us. It's just, it's, it's boring. And it's mundane at times. And sometimes we wonder if what we're doing is important because I'm not in the spotlight. There's nothing exciting happening in my life. I'm not sure if I even matter. And here in this list of names that we cannot pronounce, nor do we care about, or nor will they come up again, obviously what they were doing mattered. It was important. Why? Because every one of them had some position in the kingdom to keep it running. And too often in our lives, we look around at everybody else and what they're doing and what she's doing and what they have. It's like, what am I doing? Listen to me, my friend. If you're doing what God has called you to do, what you're doing matters. And I'm talking this morning to a CEO, a lawyer, a doctor, a garbage collector, a stay-at-home mom, a pastor, whatever. What you're doing in the kingdom, regardless of your name or whether it can be pronounced, matters. I think it was Spurgeon who said, but if God dispatched two angels, one to sweep the streets and the other to save a city, both of those angels would be doing the will of God and glorifying the Creator. It's significant. Church of Jesus Christ, do not minimize whatever role God has given you. If Jesus says in, in Matthew 10, 47, a cup of cold water in my name, do you know how easy that, watch how easy this is. Hey, Dan, God bless you, brother. You're looking pretty dry. There you go. That singing without music is tough, isn't it? Right. That's easy. I just got a reward, and I just lost it because I just showed it to you. All right? Right? It's, it's that easy. And we might say that's insignificant. That doesn't matter. Who cares? Our Savior cares. So what I'm saying this morning is this. That list there, I mean, the one guy is, he's the king's friend. What are you, a name dropper? Oh, he's a recorder. He's a bean counter. He's in charge of feeding a bunch of people. Who cares? God cares. And not only does he care, it's inscripturated. We're reading about it thousands of years later. So 
mom, dad, single, adult, guy on the line, woman in the office. The truth is, what we do matters for the kingdom. It is significant. And it should all be done for the Savior. Quit looking around about, did you recognize, did you notice, are you calling my name? Who cares? The only time that your name matters when it's called is going to be on Judgment Day. And other than that, it doesn't matter. It was Zinzendorf who said, he said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. It's encouraging. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. What was he saying? What he was saying is, the only thing that matters is Christ. That's what we're working for, the kingdom. Don't be discouraged in that. Make sure that you understand that what you do is important. Important. And those people leave a legacy. Those names in there that you wouldn't name your child, a mother reading that list would say, yeah, that one, is my kid. They're doing something in the kingdom. Longevity over time is a blessing, no matter what you're doing. Someone said, sometimes the best training for the really big things is just the everyday things. And so, believer, don't be weary in the mundane. Can I tell you, as a, as a pastor, what blesses me now, after 17 years of this church, is watching men and women who faithfully just do whatever God has called them to do. Whether it's collecting pop cans, cutting the grass, cleaning the church, preaching a message, doing a Sunday school. There's beauty. And I'm going to tell you something. In the long haul of the mundane, it grows into something beautiful. Men and women who are distinguished, who are faithful, who have not changed. It's beautiful. And so the the chapter reminds us that everything we do matters. Here's the third thought this morning. There's a warning in in the midst of wisdom. This is interesting. Back in our text, Solomon gives a list of what's going on in the temple there. And it's as wise as Solomon was, the wisest man that ever lived outside of our Savior, right? I mean, in his day, that's it. He had it all. There was one thing that he didn't understand. And you find it in chapter 3, verse number 14. The Lord is speaking to Solomon when, he's, when he just gives him this wisdom. And here's what he says. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, and he goes on and on. And the one word that Solomon did not understand in all of his wisdom is this, if. If. I heard that from a wise old man who told me that a couple weeks ago. The guy's about 105, it was Ian Cameron. And he said, he said the, the one thing that said, and it's true. Solomon didn't understand the if. And so in his wisdom, he's doing all these things. But in this chapter, there are little hints that Solomon is a little getting off here. The wrong direction. We see it when he talks about, uh, in the chapter he's talking about, uh, in verse number 6, about this tribute. And Solomon is going to tax the people like crazy. And his son Rehoboam pays for part of that. Right? And then that idea of tribute also carries the idea of forced labor. But here were people that were involved in slavery, and now Solomon, to build his empire now, is using people for that end. And then he goes on in verse 26, talking about multiplying horses. And that was clearly, clearly a prohibition of God's law. 
And so Solomon didn't understand that in all this wisdom, when you leave God out of the equation, you no longer have wisdom. And for you and I this morning, listen, you just start and it's like I cruise through this. Don't make the mistake. When God leaves the equation, your wisdom is done, and Solomon will eventually pay for that. The next thing we see is the rapture of wisdom, and I mean by that the joy. Verse 20 says, children of Israel ate and drank and were happy. The nation was happy. Could you imagine a nation of people that were happy? I can't. I can't imagine it. I mean, we are, we are mad and angry about everything. I mean, things don't matter. These people were happy. Verse 25 Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And what he's saying here is this. In God's plan and in God's design and in God's order and structure, when it's followed, there is always joy. Always joy. Uh, Good order and leadership brings joy to people. Always. When the government is doing what the government should do, there is joy in the land. When the church does What the church is to do, it's a beautiful thing. And when the church does what the church should not do, it is a horrific thing. In the home, when the home does what it's supposed to do, there is structure, there is safety, there is joy. There is joy. And finally this morning, here's the reality of what is unfolding in chapter 4 of 1 Kings. Look again, if you would, at verse number 20. Judah and Israel were many. Now catch this phrase as the sand which is by the sea in multitude. Uh, Let me ask you a question. As the sand by the sea in multitude, does that ring a bell with anything you've ever heard before? As the sand of the sea, what is that referring to? You remember a promise given to Abraham? God says, you'll be blessed. Because you will be multiplied like the sand of the sea in Genesis chapter 22. And what's happening now in Israel is that the nation gets a glimpse of God's promises coming true. And that's why there's peace, there's happiness, there's joy. When we go outside of God's order, it will ultimately bring ruin. Inside of God's order will ultimately bring joy. And I say ultimately because, listen to me, we live in a fallen world. This morning, whether you're saved by Christ's blood or you're lost without him, trusting in whatever you want to trust in, saved or lost, both will experience sadness. Both will hear cancer. Both will suffer loss. Both will experience tragedy. We're in a fallen world. There's not anybody in this room who's not been touched by it. And if you haven't, praise God, but you will be. Christian, you're not being punished when things go wrong in your life. You could be, but that's not usually what's going on. What's usually going on is we're living life in a fallen world, and we struggle. But ultimately, in God's order, with his plan, ultimately, joy does come in the morning. It comes in the morning. And what we see in chapter 4 is a glimpse of what it looks like 
when God's order is followed and he is ruling and reigning in the land. He will make all sad things untrue. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, some mortals say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even this agony into glory. And in 1 Kings chapter 4, we see a glimpse of what Jesus Christ will do someday through his wisdom, through his structure. Even those sad things in our life, he will eventually make them untrue. The agony, the suffering we face today will one day be gone. And he alludes to that in the text, talking about the vine tree and every man under his vine and fig. Listen to Micah chapter 4, verse number 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. Now watch. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And here in 1 Kings 4, we're seeing a glimpse of what's going on, that when God's law and program is followed, there is coming a day when we'll sit and rest in safety. No more war, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. And Revelation wraps it up by saying, in that city, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. My brother and sister, this morning, that is our hope. That's what we're looking forward to. And we see a glimpse of that in 1 Kings chapter 4. And so this morning, understand that the wisdom of orderly structure keeps us from chaos and wasting time, talents, and treasures. Understand this morning that whatever we do is important. Don't be weary in the mundane. Understand this morning the warning that we see that wisdom outside of God is not wisdom. And I promise you, it can last for a little bit and look like it's going fine, but there's no way it can last when we rebel against the wisdom of the creator of the universe. It, it can't last. It will not last. See the rapture and joy of wisdom in godly structures, whether it's the government, the church, our homes, in our daily life. Then we must look forward to God's promises that he will someday make all sad things untrue.